0: Other People's Flowers is a podcast for stories, poetry, and essays. Thank you for listening. Neil Shepherd is a young autistic writer from Preston, England. He uses his work as a means to express himself and understand others. He often aims to explore themes of manhood and masculinity, adulthood and memory. Family and fear. His work tends to be surrealist, making use of abstract imagery and absurdist humour. The Shape of Things at Night. For some reason, I've gotten out of bed. It's the middle of the night. I leave my bedroom, step out into the hallway. At the end of the hallway is a flight of wooden stairs. They go down forever in the dark until there is no deeper place to go to. I cannot see that place from here. I know it's down there somewhere. I'm going to fall down the stairs. I've done it before, falling and falling. Nothing to do but fall. Wait, let it happen. It's not the depth of the place I fall to that upsets me, but the fall itself. It takes too long, going on forever. Time stretching out, folding over itself, dragging on and on. I must have done this hundreds of times now. I never see it coming, not before I find myself standing here at the top of the stairs. When you are a child on the beach and you are swimming in the sea, it can be hard to comprehend the massive depth beneath you stretching on below until it reaches a place so deep and dark that you think nothing could survive down there at all. But something always can. I'm standing in an empty room with faded yellow wallpaper. The hardwood floor is creaking underneath my feet as I look about, trying to decide when I have been here before. The ceiling and the skirting boards are white. There's one window. It's bright outside. I know that I've been here before, but I can't remember when. I know that it's upstairs on the second floor, but the second floor of what? Where? Why can't I remember? I look around again and notice something. The walls are covered in damp patches. They're small, but they are everywhere. They almost look like a repeating pattern. I look closer at walls and see that all the damp patches are teeth, perfect sets of human teeth, like the x rays from a dentist's office. I look closer focus on one set of teeth in particular. I look at them and know that they belong to my mother. I can't explain it, but they do. Next to hers, I see Uncle Richard's teeth. Above them are the teeth of Joseph Ashton, a friend from long ago. I run my hands up along the walls, press my fingers up against the damp stains in the wall, the marks that so clearly resemble teeth. These ones belong to Auntie Jan, These belong to Daniel Moss. Why do I know this empty room? I ask myself. When have I been here before? It's summer. I'm walking through the crowd at Belvau Mall in Luxembourg with my girlfriend Jill. We're holding hands. This is a good day. The crowd thins out a little. Strange things are about to happen. He's watching me. I see him from across the mall and know that he does not belong. How long has he been staring? Can I describe the invader? He is tall, very tall. His features are so sharp and beautiful, his hair is short, and around his wrists he's wearing bracelets, charms, beads. He doesn't belong. I really don't know how to explain it. He just does not belong. Everything around me fades to white. The mall, the crowds, my girlfriend's hand in mine. Nothing left but me and the invader. He doesn't move. He doesn't speak. Now I'm in the bath. I'm five years old, the water has gone cold, standing in the corner, the invader. I try to cover up my naked body, but my arms are like lead. He starts to move, he crouches low and dances towards me. His movements are erratic, like he's having a fit. He's saying something, maybe he's singing, he could be chanting, I can't tell. The tank is open, and Snake is loose. Little Sister fled the house. She will not return until Snake is found. Father is not back from work. Just me and Mother, looking for Snake. Perhaps Dog might sniff it out, I say. Dog is in the corner, standing. It does not move. Dog won't find it. Snake is good at hiding. It could be anywhere, says Mother. Me and Mother search the house, behind bookshelves, armchairs. No Snake. Dog moves slowly across the room, stands by the fireplace. I think dog must know something, I say. Dog lies down and falls asleep. Mother looks upstairs, in the bathtub, in the attic. No snake. Me and mother check the bedrooms, one by one. Nothing in the first bedroom, nothing in the second. In little sister's bedroom is a pile of blood and gore, broken bones and organs. Mother tells me to wait in the living room, where dog is sleeping. Mother walks down the hallway, into the kitchen, and makes a phone call. Dog opens one eye to look at me. It rises slowly, walks towards me. It stops in front of me and coughs. Then dog begins to come apart, like a lotus flower unfurling. Dog peels itself away, skin coming apart like petals. Thin, wet flesh splitting down the length of invisible seams, revealing the hollow space inside, no bones, no blood. From within the hollow dog, Snake emerges. No one will ever believe you. I'm being chased down the street by a woman made of ants. She's either made of ants or she's covered in ants, I'm not sure which. Love me, she screams. Get back here and love me. I can't! You're covered in ants! Me and my friends, Hennessy and Timsom, are gutting an old bathroom in the middle of an empty warehouse. We're uprooting the bathtub and the egg white sink. We lift them between us and carry them outside before returning to remove the shower base and the radiator. ''Hey, hold on a minute,'' I say to myself. ''This is my bathroom. From when I was a kid. From my old house, I mean.'' ''Never mind that. Here comes the boss,'' says Hennessy. ''From across the warehouse, a naked man is running towards us.'' ''Is he naked?'' I ask. ''No,'' says Timpson. The naked man keeps running. As he gets closer, I notice that he's muttering under his breath. ''He's very close now. He runs into the bathroom, grabs me by the shoulders and shakes me. ''Just do the job and get paid!'' the naked man screams. I stumble backwards and try to push the naked man away from me. Fuck off, you mad bastard. What the hell are you doing? The naked man keeps mumbling and starts to push me to the ground with surprising strength. No, that's enough of that, I tell him. With a feeling of finality, I punch the naked man in the side of the head. He wails in pain and lets me go. I was only playing. You had to go and take it too far, the naked man wails. Hennessy shakes his head disapprovingly. What's wrong with you? Timson? asks me. I just laugh and pick up the radiator. In my living room, the tall man is watching a video on television. It's a home video of a rat getting eaten by a dog. Go on, get stuck in, he mutters. I'm sat beside him on the couch, watching with disinterest. The dog tears at the rat's meagre body. He won't get much off that, I say. You're right, of course, he'll have to eat me again before too long, the tall man tells me. Pity. The conversation goes on for a while longer, but I can't remember what either of us said. Have you ever thought you were awake, only to discover in the morning it was actually a dream? Sometimes you realise even before you wake up, you'll be in a dream and know that none of it is real. Something is not right. Last night was different. I was standing in the hallway, staring down into the darkness at the bottom of the stairs. It seemed far darker than it ought to be, far further down. It was cold, so cold it hurt my teeth to breathe. I must be asleep, this must be a dream, I thought, but it was not a dream, and somehow I already knew that. I was awake. I had a feeling, like I'd been here before, like a memory I had fooled myself into believing wasn't real. I imagined myself as a child standing here at the top of the stairs. I had to know if anything was down there. I couldn't do it as a child, I wasn't brave enough, I was older now, I had a right to know. I took the first few steps, the stairs creaked. I kept going. It was getting colder. My breath was coming out in little clouds. I tried to turn around to see how far I'd come. I could only face forward. The further down I went, the darker it became. My feet were numb. They felt like slabs of rock. My fingers were too stiff to move. The cold air made it hard to breathe. Not much further now. Almost there. I'd never been so cold. At the bottom of the stairs, a frozen lake stretched for miles and miles in every direction. The water was as black as tar. I tried to step out on the ice, but it creaked loudly, not as thick as I thought. I sat down on the bottom step and peered into the surface of the frozen lake. In the dark, I could have sworn I saw strange shapes moving across one another beneath me. It was impossible to say for sure, if there was something living beneath the surface of the lake. What kind of creature could survive in these conditions? Those shapes that moved, Were they small creatures, or were they simply very far below me? If this lake was very deep, then the creatures could be very large. Their true size could be hidden by the depth and darkness of the frozen lake. Something always can, I told myself. You're right, of course, said the invader. He was sat beside me on the bottom step, staring out across the lake. "'How long have you been sat there?' I asked him. "'The invader smiled. "'I remember when this used to be an ocean with storms and waves and everything. "'Now look at it, reduced to nothing more than a frozen lake at the bottom of the stairs. "'I watched him fold his hands over, one over another. "'I didn't even know that it was here until tonight,' I said. "'He laughed, the hollow kind. "'We stayed sat there for a long time, saying nothing. "'Eventually, it got to be too much for me. "'I remembered that I had a choice.' I had somewhere else that I could be. I stood up and turned around. Where are you going? The invader asked suddenly. Why are you leaving? It's cold. I'm going back upstairs. I'm going to bed. The invader shook his head. Look back out across the lake. Come with me, I said. I don't know why. He laughed again. I started walking up the stairs, but stopped and turned around. Is there really something alive down there? I asked. Of course, he told me. I looked up back towards the hallway far above and the soft light and the safety of familiarity. In my mind, I could still picture the dark shapes underneath the frozen lake moving slowly. I turned around again. Are you sure? I asked. He was gone. I kept on going up the stairs towards the hallway. It was too dark to make out my reflection on the icy surface of the lake. Still, I found myself imagining my own reflection in the frozen water, looking over its own shoulder, watching me climb higher. Higher back towards my bedroom, even as it continued to descend into the heart of the frozen lake. Soon I was back in bed again. Thank you for listening to Other People's Flowers. Other People's Flowers is produced and edited by Hugo Gibson and Chris Kamonvutitam. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating. If you'd like to have your work featured on the programme, please visit otherpeoplesflowers.com to see our submission guideline. Thank you.